maybe the plus side is we might be out a little early, early today because you know I'm probably not as long-winded as Michael. Um, he's not here, so I can say that. But or, we should cut that out of the recording, maybe. But uh, <laughs> we work on that. Um, so most of you probably know me at least a little bit. Um, I'm I'm Paul Wilson. Um, I, I have the privilege of being a, a pastor here uh, at Redeemer Church, um, along with Michael. Um, and in a couple of weeks, uh, we'll be appointing uh, Ethan as an elder and pastor here as well. Um, and honestly, still, I think for me and Ethan, um, that sounds weird coming out of our mouth. Saying that we're an elder or pastor of a church is so crazy. I never really pictured that for myself. Um, and I guess for, for a little background on myself, for those who may not know me as well, I, I grew up in church, I professed faith in Christ at the age of 12, um, and have been a member of or heavily involved in, in five different churches in my life. Um, the church, so church has always been a very important part of my life. Um, but if, you know, if I can be an example of anything, that alone, just going to church and being very involved and doing all of the things, um, is not, does not equate following Christ um, every step of the way. Um, I, I think that I was, yes, a believer for most of that time, um, following Christ, yes, like the disciples, physically following him, um, but as we'll see today, they often didn't really quite understand or follow what he was trying to say um, and weren't necessarily following his will. Um, so that was definitely true for, for my life. Um, I, I did lots of, of good things uh, for church um, and put my, my, because I'm a good Christian, kind of label on it. Um, but my relationship with Christ has not always been great. Um, and during those times, I, I just wasn't like seeking his will. Uh, but a little over two years ago, uh, God started kind of showing me how much of a Jonah I kind of was being um, in my life. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think that I was exactly running actively away like Jonah was, um, but I, I really wasn't pursuing the goals that, that God had. Uh, I wasn't really pursuing his will. Um, I, had, I had big plans for career um, and was putting church kind of in the, in the sidecar to go along. Um, possibly in the trunk, completely ignoring it. Um, but, but I had it there, you know, if I needed God. Uh, and, you know, I, I would always, you know, have him there if I needed him. You know, when, th when times were, were tough, I could go in to him in prayer, uh, but I really wasn't doing anything to actually, you know, live out the calling uh, that we have. And, and the calling that I'm talking about is, you know, it's the Great Commission, um, where Jesus, you know, after his death and resurrection, and just before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So I, like, like the disciples that we'll see in, in the passage today, I was trying to follow Christ. I, you know, they were physically following Christ, uh, but missing out on, on his will, on his mission. Um, and I was definitely doing that as well. So I can definitely um, uh, understand kind of how the, how the disciples are feeling uh, that, that we've seen today. Um, and, and really the reason for that is my pride, my sinful pride was, get, was getting in the way of me truly following after him. Um, with this pride, I made a lot of kind of big decisions about where my life was going without really even slowing down to, to pray about it, to ask, like, is this your will? Um, and eventually I ended up in, in probably one of the darkest times of my life because of, because of those decisions um, and those desperate prayers during that time. Um, 
that followed over the next few months really made me realize that God wanted me to do something like just you know much more uh, much more crazy. Uh, that's moved to Vermont apparently um, and helped start a church. Um, and I, I, like before, I really wanted to like make something like great of myself, maybe even make a lot of money doing it. Um, but him, the the only one who was truly great. Um, decided to shake me awake um, until I finally was ready to listen. Um, so the disciples in this passage today um, were hearing Jesus with their ears quite clearly. Um, often Jesus speaks in parables, but here he's, he's pretty much speaking directly. He's saying what is about to happen, and they don't understand. Um, they weren't really ready to understand at this point. Um, they weren't ready to, to humble themselves. Um, but they were soon going to see this only truly great man to ever walk the earth, as Philippians 2.8 says, humble himself and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Um, so as we, as we really start to, to dig into this uh, now, let's, let's go ahead and pray. We'll open this up. God, I thank you so much for, for saving our souls and, and setting our feet on solid ground. Lord, I do so much identify with, with the disciples here um, in Mark 9 where I'm just sometimes not ready to listen um, and certainly not ready to obey because sometimes your plan is pretty, pretty radical and it's life changing um, but God you are at that solid ground Lord I pray that you place our feet firmly in you um, and take away our fear the fear that Jonah had uh, of following after you I pray that you give us just uh, strength uh, with humility in you. God, I pray that you be with us this morning as we dig into your word. Just, I pray that you help us to be able to think through this clearly uh, so that you are glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we remember from, from our passage uh, last week, Jesus, we saw Jesus cast out a demon. Uh, that the disciples had been struggling to cast out of a young boy. I mean, my favorite part of that story is when the father of the child says, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. And isn't that something that we should all be like praying every day? Because I know that I struggle. I know we all struggle probably daily with our own unbelief um, in his power and faithfulness. Um, but now Jesus and his disciples were, were leaving this place and would be on the road for a while, eventually leading to Jerusalem. Uh, and at this point in Jesus' ministry, he was on, this, on the final stretch uh, on his road to the cross. Um, we start to see kind of fewer miracles from here on. Um, and Jesus is specifically spending time teaching and preparing his disciples uh, for what is coming. So there's not, you're kind of staying away from crowds a little bit more and really trying to invest this last little bit of time in them and prepare them for what is to come. Um, so then as they're, as they're walking through Galilee and he's teaching them, um, he, he wants their, their undivided attention. So let me reread this, this uh, uh, verses 30 and, uh, through 32 uh, so it'll be fresh on our minds. Then they left that place and made their way through Galilee, but he did not want anyone to know it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise three days later. 
but they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. So here they are traveling together, and he's teaching them, and he tells them in verse 31, like this is all like pretty clear, um, that he's going to be betrayed into the hands of men. Uh, and depending on your Bible translation, uh, that phrase, betrayed into the hands of men, might be worded a little bit differently. Um, some translations say betrayed, others say delivered or handed over. Uh, the New King James actually says he was being betrayed, as in the, the present tense, it's already happening. Um, but so, what do you think? Like, does, this, does this mean Judas has already set into motion his plan to betray him? We don't, we don't really know that, maybe, um, but there really is a bigger meaning going on here. Uh, R.C. Sproul actually says he doesn't like the, the translation using the word betrayed here, uh, even though one of his disciples, Judas, yes, would end up betraying him. Uh, the one doing the delivering or handing over that we see in other translations is God, God the Father. Um, this is not an accident. Um, this was the plan the whole time. Um, so to help us like, see like, each step of this handing over, um, I'm going to read through a few verses uh, that kind of just you know, pull out kind of the different stages of, of his betrayal. Uh, Acts 2.23 says, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless men to nail him to a cross and kill him. So again, this is, this is God the Father's plan. Uh, yes, he used men, Judas, uh, Pilate, and all these people to, to carry this out, to nail him to the cross. Um, but this was not an accident. This, this was God's plan. Um, going on to uh, Matthew 26, 24, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. So that's, that's referring to Judas, the, the actual betrayer. Um, so betrayed kind of makes a lot of sense um, in that context. Um, in Matthew 27, 2, the Sanhedrin, which were the, kind of the Jewish religious leaders um, at the time, um, led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor, the Roman uh, authority there. Um, so Judas had given him to these religious leaders who had, then, who, who had been you know, kind of after him. They wanted to get their hands on him for, for a while. Um, they weren't big fans of Jesus' message. Um, it was kind of undermining everything that they were trying to teach the people. Um, they, were, they were willing to, get to, to pay Judas, give him a big payday uh, to get their hands on Jesus. Um, and now that they had him, they were trying to get him in an actual legal trouble uh, with Rome. So far, you know, they, they didn't like the ways that he was kind of bending and breaking their own uh, Jewish tradition rules, but you know, they, they really wanted him in, in big, big trouble. Um, so in, in Matthew 27, 26, uh, Pilate, after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. And, and even like multiple times, Pilate even tried to point out that you know, he's done nothing legally wrong, uh, but they, they kept pushing. They, they wanted his execution. So eventually, Pilate gives in um, to, to this whole situation and orders for him to be crucified and washes his hands of it. Um, so to, to summarize, God the Father handed Jesus over to Judas, who handed him over to the Jewish leaders, who handed him over to Pilate, who handed him over to the executioners. 
And, and again, like I've said, all this is no surprise to Jesus. It was foretold in the Old Testament, um, and he has personally predicted it now the second time, and there, there will be another. We'll see in the, in the coming weeks as we study Mark. Um, he's telling the, his disciples, like, he knows this is coming. Um, none of it is going to be a surprise. He's not taken off guard uh, when he was handed over and made to suffer and die. He went willingly and with full knowledge of what was ahead. And despite men taking and killing him, this was God's plan all along. To redeem his people, the son was going to have to be handed over as a perfect sacrifice for their sins, and for our sins. So as we move on through the passage, uh, we see that the disciples were, were not able to understand uh, what he's telling them. Um, like, and how, how, could they, how could they not understand when this all seems to be quite, he's saying this all quite plainly. Um, it's, he's not saying it in, in a poetic way or you know, in a parable. He literally just told them, I'm going to be betrayed, killed, and in three days rise again. And of course, for, for us, we have the whole picture. Hindsight is 2020. Uh, but the disciples, the idea that, that the Messiah, the one that had been foretold in the Old Testament, being killed would have been completely out of their realm of possibilities. The concept of, of the death of the Messiah is just unacceptable. Um, and, and we can kind of think about it this way. When, when we're mourning a death of a loved one, you know, one of the stages of grief is denial, right? Um, and, and that's a loss that has already happened. You, know, it, we, you, can, you can see it and prove that it, it happened. Um, but we still have that feeling of uh, it can't, can't be true. I'm going to wake up and this is all going to be over. Um, so in the minds of, of the disciples here, he's telling them this is going to happen. It's not happened yet. So surely they're thinking, you know, something's going to change. That's not going to have to happen. Um, but didn't these like, same Jewish people, they had the same access to the Old Testament. Um, they grew up being taught uh, from the Torah and the Law and Prophets that we now call the Old Testament. Uh, this included prophets like Isaiah, where in, in chapters 52 and 53 speaks of the suffering servant who was despised and rejected by men. And he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains. He was pierced because of our rebellion. So, so why don't they get it here? Why aren't they expecting this? Um, the, the Old Testament told them that this was going to happen. But again, we've got the whole picture. The mystery of the gospel has been made known to us now. Um, Jesus was showing them something that was in a way, kind of different than what they had been like, growing up learning. Uh, yes, they, they may have known about the suffering servant um, in Isaiah, but Jesus also called himself son of man. It's actually the, the term that he most often used for himself, and that's actually a, a reference to the book of Daniel in chapter 7, where the son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. They weren't, they weren't really putting two and two together here, that the Son of Man, who was standing right here in front of them, was going to also be the suffering servant. So it could have been that these two prophecies seemed so like at odds with each other, one depicting great power and glory, while the other describes a humble servant who would be hated and killed. So that maybe they, they just couldn't believe that, you know, this was the same person. They, they were probably thinking this, this was maybe two separate people. Um, 
to quote uh, Sinclair Ferguson on that, uh, how could the figure of glory, the Son of Man, also be the figure of shame, the suffering servant? They simply couldn't understand. Only later would they see that it was through, this, through his death and suffering as the suffering servant that he entered into his glory as Son of Man. While they weren't able to put all this together in their heads and understand it, it says that they were afraid to ask. Like, why would they be afraid to ask? Surely Jesus is the most approachable man ever. Um, but, but thinking about this like, reminded me of a few times um, you know, growing up. So I was, I was homeschooled as a kid. I don't know how many of you know that. Um, I, was, I was the one doing school at home before it was cool. You know, started in a couple of years ago during the pandemic. Um, nobody really understood how that, that worked at the time. Um, but I can remember lots of times as a kid, my mom was like helping me review a subject uh, before, I was, before I would take an exam or quiz. Um, and, you know, we were going over and over and over. But here I am taking the exam, staring at the question that I knew I should know the answer to, but totally drawing a blank on it. Um, and at, at that point, it's, it's too late. I can't, I can't go ask her, but you know, if I could have, probably would be too proud to go and ask because I knew that like, she had been reviewing this with me all day and, and now I can't remember. Um, and like, during, during that review, I, I'd probably just not been paying attention. I was probably thinking about what I was gonna do at the end of the day. I was looking out the window, whatever <laughs> I was doing. Um, but here I am like staring at it and I know I'm going to be embarrassed later because I'm going to get this wrong um, and my mom might be disappointed with me <laughs> that, I, that I got this wrong. Um, so, so this could be you know, something like, like what the disciples are feeling uh, in this moment uh, when they were afraid to ask. Maybe they were embarrassed to admit that they didn't understand something that had already been explained to them. Or maybe it's that they were afraid to afraid of the answer that they were going to get. This is pretty grim stuff that Jesus is telling them. Um, and it, you know, it, it carries a lot of weight. This is key to his overall mission. Uh, and it must, that must be pretty obvious to him. He, he keeps bringing it up. Um, and the Im implications here are, are massive. So it's understandable that they may hesitate to even want more information on this. And as I, as I said, this is not the first time that Jesus had predicted his death to them. Uh, the first time was probably not that long ago for them. It was only a chapter back in March 8, or Mark 8 uh, for us. Uh, Jesus tells them that he will suffer and be killed and rise in three days. It's the same thing. Um, you may remember on that occasion, uh, Peter confronts Jesus about this, possibly saying something like, don't, don't talk like this. You were the Messiah. We're not going to let that happen to you. You can't be killed. Um, but Jesus put, immediately puts him back in his place and tells him, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> what a way to get like, called out, Peter. Man. Um, so now Jesus is telling them the same thing again, and there's, there's nothing but crickets from all of them, Peter especially, I guess. Um, and even though the text doesn't say it here, I, I kind of like to picture them kind of giving each other that look. Like, I'm not going to ask, you ask. Um, I'm not going to put my foot in my mouth like Peter did last week. Um, and also, previously, right after Jesus calls out Peter, 
Um, it goes immediately into he's speaking to the disciples and a, a group of, of other people around. And he says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And they don't yet know that Jesus' death would be by crucifixion. They don't even understand the need for Jesus' death, much less the method by which he would be killed. And think about how, what this must sound like to them. In the context of their mind, crucifixion means brutal execution. Um, you know, like replace crucifixion with lethal injection or you know, whatever our like, form is these days. Um, that, you know, that doesn't sound nice. Um, so as they're, they're, they're putting this together in their mind, uh, they may be thinking, like, I'm one of his followers. If this is going to happen to him, what's going to happen to me? So as they, as they continue on, they're, they're traveling and walking, talking amongst themselves, um, right after Jesus has, has told them this information. Um, so all this is still kind of in the back of their minds. They're trying to, to wrestle with this massive bomb of information that he's just given them again um, and trying to make some sense of it. But also it's probably making them like pretty, pretty uneasy. So they, they probably really don't want to talk about it. Um, so what, what ends up being the topic of their conversation as they walk about who is the greatest among them? Of course, these bunch of guys are going to argue about who's the best one <laughs> of them. Um, so, yeah, again, back to the pride that I had, that I was talking about earlier. Um, actually, a, a coworker of mine, uh, he, he kind of likes to, to jokingly say, when we, we encounter somebody that's just being particularly self-centered or demanding, um, he says, I may not be much, but I'm all that I think about. And that, <laughs> that seems pretty true. And, and it seems kind of ridiculous, uh, but it really, if you think about it, it's true. Um, of all of us, not just those people who are being particularly self-centered. Um, you know, most of our day-to-day -day is kind of thinking about ourselves. Um, and while we can blame that on like, our culture of you know, selfies and you know, do what makes you happy, um, it is really it's, it's the pride that's at the core of all of that, at the center of our sinful, fallen nature. So let, let's take a look back at the, at the rest of these verses, uh, starting in verse 33. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. He was on the way. They had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. He took a child, had him stand among them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one little child such as this by, in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. So they had stopped at a house uh, in Capernaum, possibly for the night. It's been a long day of walking. Um, and Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? And the response is more, more silence. Probably this time more like, nervous, uh, like trying to avoid eye contact. Um, because they... They're probably a little bit embarrassed about that, how that conversation went down. Um, and I kind of like to think uh, that, you know, when Jesus asked this, he might have had a little bit of a smile on his face, um, kind of like a, a parent. You know, when you walk into the room uh, of your kid doing just something ridiculous, you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and for an example of that, um, so 
the Badger's uh, boy, Rowan, um, is almost exactly the same age uh, as Caleb, our son. Um, so, you know, we, we keep, the, keep him occasionally, uh, and they, they play together great. They are always getting into things. I think Caleb is probably the lead on that. He's, he's a professional at getting into things he shouldn't be. Um, but they had been, you know, playing in our playroom, and then it kind of got quiet for a little while. Um, so we're, you know, we gotta go, we gotta go check out what's going on. They're, they were over in, in Caleb's room right around the corner. Um, and I think Katie walked in there and saw Rowan sitting on the floor playing with a toy like he should be. And Caleb bumping some lotion into his hand and, and getting it all in Rowan's hair. <laughs> He's kind of wa- washing it like with some shampoo, getting it all in there. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what else can you say other than, what do you, what do? You do? <laughs> uh-huh. well, that's kind of how I imagine like, Jesus asking this question. What are you arguing about? Um, Jesus knew what they had been arguing about. They didn't answer. They didn't tell him. But if you notice, he immediately starts teaching them on this, on this very subject of pride um, and how to truly be great in the kingdom of God. Um, so as a kind of a quick side note, this, this question that he asked kind of reminds me of, you know, in the creation story, Adam and Eve, you know, right after they... Uh, sinned in the garden. Um, they immediately felt ashamed, realized they were naked and exposed, so they made clothes for themselves um, and hid from God. Um, and as they hear God approaching in the garden, he asks them, where are you? He, he knew where they were. We can't really hide from God. He knew they had sinned. He was asking about the condition of their hearts. We cannot, as much as we may try, hide our sin from God. So Jesus teaching here about making yourself a servant and putting yourself last and welcoming even the most insignificant person is, is countercultural to us now, uh, but it, it, it is to them and completely backwards to them as well, even in, amongst the religious people. Um, this, the disciples actually had kind of terrible examples of religious humility prior to Christ coming. Um, in Judaism, the religious leaders were, were very showy about their spirituality. Uh, the religious elite would, would have certain things that they would wear, a, a certain uniform or tassels. Um, they would kind of show off their status or superiority, or kind of like badges of honor. Uh, when they would tithe, they would, they would announce it loudly and kind of like show how much, look how much I'm pouring in there. Um, they would pray loudly and long, drawn out loud prayers on, on the city corner. Um, not like where you know, we're told to, to um, yes, pray together, but to go into a room and pray, um, but not to do it like they were doing it, uh, announcing it and making themselves look, look at how great my spirituality is because I can pray for a long time really loud. Um, they, even in times of mourning or when they were repenting of sin, they would cover themselves in ash and wear sackcloth, kind of like, woe is me, look, look, look at me, um, and my sin, but I'm, I'm moving on from that. Uh, I'm going to bring all this attention to myself on it. Um, so these things kind of show like how much pride and distort things. Again, back in the, the Old Testament, when God chose David uh, to be the next king of Israel, it says in uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7, humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. So despite all of their trying um, to look super spiritual. Um, in reality, their hearts were 
wide open and exposed to God. Um, as Jesus says here, anyone who wants to be first must be last and servant of all. So following after him and seeking to be great in his kingdom looks nothing like what these religious leaders were doing. And these, and these are the people that the disciples have been looking up to their whole lives. The Bible is covered with examples of how we can live with humility and emulate Christ. Um, for example, Micah 6, 8. Uh, Mankind, he has, he has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you. To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. Luke 14, 11, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And in Ephesians 4, 1 through 2, like we, we actually just went over this in, in our uh, community group a week or two ago, Paul um, says, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk of the calling you have, you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Going on, James 4, 6. Therefore, he says, God resisted the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then James 4, 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So this is the way that we can live more like Jesus is calling us to live. Jesus lived as a perfect example for us. He's, he's the one true king. And as it says in Daniel, um, you'll have dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. But he, the true king, became like a lowly servant and embraced ultimate humiliation on the cross for us. Um, Matthew eleven twenty nine says, Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. And even reading that, only he can say that. You know, be like me because I'm humble. You know, if any of us says, says that, that's out of pride. But obviously not with him. Um, so let's take this example uh, that he has laid out for us with his life. And not simply hear it and go about our business as if we had never heard it. Let's let it take root in our hearts. What kind of disciple of Christ are we if, if we let the first part of Luke 14, 11 be true about us? And to read that again, it says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. That's not the part that I want defining my life. I want the, the other part. Um, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What, what kind of Christ follower are we being if we, if we act nothing like him? So let's, let's try to take that to heart today. Um, and again, you know, like I said, I'm, this is probably shorter than Michael. <laughs> so um, just as we, as we finish up, let, let, me, let me close this in prayer uh, as, we, as we pray for that kind of humility um, that is... It's so hard to, to attain, but um, really emulating and following after Christ, um, that, that's part of our sanctification. Um, one day, we'll be there with him and be much more like him, but not, not here, 
It's, it's, a, it's a long road um, as the disciples were on with Jesus. Um, but praise God that he was on that road then and willing to, to humble himself to that point, to the point of dying and suffering uh, for us. Um, we have so many examples of, of Jesus um, being that humble servant. He, he didn't wear all of that stuff that, the, that those religious leaders were wearing. Um, he preached on the side of a hill or in a boat. Uh, he, he got on, on his hands and knees to wash his disciples' feet. Those religious leaders never would have stooped that low. And often we, we kind of feel that way. We don't want to stoop low to do things like that. Uh, but if we take Christ's example, if we want to follow after him and be at, like him, that's, that's how we live our life. Let me close this in prayer. God, we thank you so much for, for this example of, of humility. Um, God, not only in the way that you lived and gave us an example of how we should live, but God, you embraced ultimate humility, humiliation, and suffering and death so that we didn't have to I pray that you begin today in our lives to bring us closer to the way that you lived and to, under, and to begin to understand in a way that the disciples weren't here your humility. God, I pray that you use us as servants. Uh, give us the, the willingness to get down on our hands and knees and get, get kind of dirty um, in service to you. We love you so much, and we thank you for all that you've done for us. In your name we pray. Amen.